Yeah? So the amount of times I've come here, I probably did the, I've probably been here a month, maybe. So I've done the program. I'm a graduate of Milestone. A successful graduate. That's one of the best joys about coming here, not always being here, because I've seen, I remember about six years ago, I saw a couple of people in the program, and you could tell that they were going to stay sober. Yeah, they were interested, and they were willing, and uh, like we say in AA, back where I live, it says, uh, if someone's not ready, you can't say anything right. If someone's ready, you can't say anything wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I could see something about them. I could name some of them, but I didn't. But then I would come back in six months, and they were still sober. Then six months later, they were graduating, and they were going into like teaching yoga or doing something like that maybe had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, then to Thailand, traveling, and on and on. And it's just incredible to watch. It's almost like a, one of those slow-developing pictures. So if you were there all day, all month, you, may, you wouldn't miss it. You'd miss it in some way, you know? But by being away, coming here, and seeing just the, the growth that recovery offers, yeah? And the beautiful thing about recovery, many of them, See, we're all experts on changing how we feel. That's what we were doing out there, yeah? But see, what, what happens with AA, if you submit yourself to this program and this way of life, because it is a way of life, uh, you will be changed, and that change will be directed by wisdom, and so it will be growth, yeah? So that change won't be just for change's sake. It's going to have an intention and like we would say in AA, you're going to grow to the sunlight of the spirit. Yes? You're gonna. And uh, that's what these principles do and this program does. And it's nice to see, you know, like a six-year picture of people or a 30-year picture of people. And I was telling uh, Nicoletta, I was saying, you should take before pictures of everyone who comes in and just and then show them in a few weeks in the, into the program when they thought they had it going on. You know, <laughs> get, let's see the real proof is in the pudding. You know, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> so, uh, just as a background, I spent two years in a program, sort of like this. I think it was, actually it wasn't like this. They, were, they wouldn't even let you outside for the first year. Uh, called Delancey Street. I think they have a, uh, one of them in New York City, or they used to, and there's one in Mexico, uh, New Mexico. But this one was in San Francisco. And, you know, I started out, I grew up in Long Island, and I ended up in California after... Uh, some circumstances occurred, and uh, <clears throat> in 1988, I had uh, I was suffering another consequence of me managing my own life. So when I'm managing my own life, it always leads me to having to be managed by other people. So once again, I had I was on the last square of the game board and I didn't know what to do, and I had spent the rent money that night, so I had no money the next day, I had no money, and my landlord was gonna be home at six, he lived in the apartment that I lived in, and uh, 
It was 10 in the morning. I had just been released from the hospital after an overdose. Uh, I had stopped by someone's house and got borrowed a little money, like borrow money. And I bought a couple of big talls and drank them as I walked home to where I lived. I arrived at her house, her, the apartment, and it was 10 in the morning, 10.30 in the morning, whatever. And she was going there at 6, so I kicked back like we'd all would do and used, drank all her liquor, used her phone, you know, <laughs> ate her food. And around 5.30, I was, what am I going to do? I had the whole day to plan my escape. I was like, what am I going to do? So I had, uh, I knew about this program on 8th and Fulton in San Francisco called Delancey Street because a girlfriend of mine had dropped me off there without my knowledge of what it was about. She asked me to check it out. I walked in, I checked it out, went out, and she was gone. So my, she was my ex-girlfriend. So, but I remembered it, yeah, because I was on 48th and Fulton, and it was, you know. So I decided I was going to walk down there, and I arrived at this place at 6 o'clock, and I don't think they have it in Milestone, but there... You entered a big, big like foyer, a big uh, open room, and there was a bench on the side. And if someone who came off the streets, you would sit on the bench, which would signify you've lost the game of life, basically. You know, you were sitting on the bench, and then they would know what was happening. And then you didn't know exactly when or they'd ask you in for an interview, but you just sit there until they decided to talk to you. Yeah. So I got there at six o'clock that night, and uh, I was looking at the wall across the way, there was a clock there, and it was uh, like six o'clock, and I said to myself, I'm gonna give them till 6.30 to see me, or I'm out of here. A lot of important engagements to keep. <laughs> I didn't have a pot to piss in, nowhere to go. And I'm already putting a requirement on the situation. Down, you know. So at 6.28, they call me in a room, and they start asking me questions. A lot of it's going over my head. And then one question what was I was keen on, which was, do you want a place to stay tonight? And that's really what I wanted. And uh, I said, yes. And they said, well, you have to make a two-year commitment. And I said, well, you know, you know like a little dog move, what? And I said, okay. And, they, uh, and then 6.30, I was a full-fledged member of Delancey Street. They had 300 clients in the facility, and uh, they released me, and I started my path in Delancey Street. And the amazing thing is, I stayed there two years. And uh, 85 to 87. So I started to do what they told me to do. They watched you all the time. You didn't go out for the first year, pretty much. And your main entertainment was videos on the weekend. So everyone took that very, very important. And uh, after about a year of being in the program, I, saw I was feeling pretty good. I had friends, you know, I was doing things. I was going to be able to go to college after I hit a year. They would, and, uh, they would drive me there, you know, with a group of people and then pick us up. And uh, so I started thinking about my problems, you know, the court, you know, the exact nature of the wrong, and I thought the exact nature of the wrong was narcotics, really. Mm -hmm. I thought, uh, you know, I have the propensity of shooting cocaine that's causing trouble. So, mm -hmm. I, uh, but I said to myself, I could probably drink, which mm -hmm. I didn't run it by, I didn't run it by anyone in the program. I just mm -hmm. filed it away in my little safe, mm -hmm. and I continued on with the program. 
And after and then after about the twenty month mark I hit, uh, they brought me in a room again and they said, Listen, we like you, Paul. We want you to stay five more years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and see their idea of success, they had beautiful color brochures and uh, because and they said they had like a ninety nine point something percent success rate. <laughs> But you had to read the fine print. You could never leave the last Now, that didn't seem like something I wanted to do. I mean, I do thrive in an institutional setting, but I'd rather not become an old dude. In I want to go to one when I'm old, not, you know. You know. So, so, uh, so I said, is there any other options? And they said, yeah. There's a workout program we have, and if uh, if you work out, if you get a job outside, and you uh, get a car, and you open a checking account, and if you save some money, and at the four month mark, yeah, you have all those things in place. If you find a place to live, you can graduate. Yeah, Delancey Street. They don't give you a diploma or anything. But, so I said, all right, I'm going to do that. So I did that. I got a job. Did this. Did that. And then the 24-month mark came. I started looking around the city, San Francisco, found a place I could afford. Two young girls lived there. I looked pretty good at the time. I had khaki pants, blue blazer. Hadn't done, you know, drank or used in two years. And uh, I'd like to say my real, you know, my uh, my realtor was Dr. Jekyll. Mr. Hyde was going to be moving in. And now, Delancey Street knew the period of Mr. Hyde, though rather long, and they said, no, you're never going to be Mr. Hyde again. You're Dr. Jekyll from now on. And they kept telling me this, and I was hoping they were right, but I had a strong suspicion they weren't. But what happened is I graduated, and I, as soon as I found this place, and they, the, the two girls liked Dr. Jekyll, I swear. <laughs> but that relationship ended quickly. And Mr. Hyde appeared, which was fast. So I got in there, and I was, and I had hope, you know, I went to college, everything, you know. They told me it was over, this was going to go clear sailing, have a life. And so I got out, and I had this job. I get off at 5, and this time when I got off at 5 that first week, I didn't go back to Delancey Street. I went to this apartment, and I really didn't know what to do with myself. And it seemed like an eternity of time before 11 o'clock at night when I go to bed. So my head got very antsy, that irritable. And remember... To me, alcohol is like a parasite, and it can appear to be dormant. That doesn't mean it's gone. Yeah, it can it can burrow in and wait for the right circumstances and situations. It has a huge amount of patience. It really does. So it's been sitting there in this little chrysalis stage <laughs> two years, <laughs> like the alien ready to shoot out. <laughs> so. so <laughs> So I started to feel like I was missing something of the old days. It told me these two years of what I'd been missing was, sounded very romantic. It, was no, it wasn't factual. <laughs> it was telling me, oh, all those lovely nights. You know. So I bought it, got in the car, drove down to a bar that I used to attend, which is the Rose and Thistle. In, it was California and Polk Street in San Francisco. Famous place, really. 
Uh, if you ever mention it in AA meetings in San Francisco, a lot of heads are, oh, yeah, yeah. It was sort of like a, a drug depot, you know. And, uh, we used to call it the nose and sniffle. It you know? <laughs> <laughs> its real, its real uh, character. So, so, I, uh, <laughs> so I went to that bar, and I'm just obsessed with self completely. Yeah? And I'm thinking the bartender's getting my newsletter about what's happened to Paul Hederman. And, but he hasn't heard me or seen me in a couple of years, forgot me completely. And I walk in, armed with this idea I can drink, and I order a beer, you know, innocently. Uh, I order the beer. He gives it to me. He didn't go, away. Hey, you shouldn't be having a beer. He just gave it to me. I drink the beer. I'm drinking it, and I finish it, and I order another one. Obviously, <laughs> and halfway through the other one, it wasn't enough. Yeah, so I started looking around the room to see if someone who used to sell more—let's call it—it's more really. It could be more alcohol. It's more really. Yeah, the drink never satiates anything. It triggers something where you want more. Yeah, so I wanted more. So I looked around the room and see if I could see it. You know pick out anyone who may be selling more. You know? and, uh, the same guy who used to sell more was still selling more. He was. He was an English dude. He was a franchise. He used to sit over there. So I kissed his ass and uh, bought some. And I went out to my, the car, which I lost two nights later. I did a line of the more, and it was like the movie The Shining when Jack Nicholson goes through that bathroom door at the end. Whoa, he was dying. And um, the dormancy was over. The parasite arose, and uh, I was very easily pushed to the passenger side, and I went on a 10-month run from that night. Now, this was two years of separation from it, college, feeling better, all that it had, we're all outmatched. Yeah, we're outmatched. This this parasite has been taking us over. Go to the Psalms in the Old Testament. One night I did a talk at a church and they had a big Bible and they must have been reading out of it. And I looked at what they were reading out of it. And in the Psalms they're complaining about the winos. They don't know what to fucking do with the winos. <laughs> 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 Parasite has been feeding off of us for thousands and thousands of years. Yes, yes. It's gotten its strategy, just like you know those those uh, strain resistant bugs in the hospital. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger, and uh, it's taken over more of us. Really, I mean, if you come to these things, there's a giant boom in rehabs, an opiate thing, and people. White men under 50, the biggest killer is suicide or overdose now. I mean, something's going on. So what happened was that thing once again took me over, and it uses us for transportation. Really, it does. Mm -hmm. if, you don't, if you don't think so, it's funny how we all end up in the same three parking spaces, institution, jails, and death. You know, so there's one driver of the whole fleet. 
Yeah. It's not all the fleet decides go to the same fucking milestone. Right? <laughs> Who's going to decide to come to milestone when you're looking at your next vacation? Don't go to a rehab. No. You've been played out, so this is the only place to go in most cases. And the fact is, you'll be played out again and again and again. And some people end up becoming institutionalized in these little residence places because... This is what happens. The parasite has learned how to thrive in a fucking institutional sober setting. It doesn't care, really. It can, it can disguise itself here just as much as it disguises itself out there. Yeah, it's just going to feed off of us. And it talks to you as you in your head. It's talking right now to you as you. It's probably hatching a great idea right now about what you should do after this fucker stops talking. Yeah, it probably is. And I, you know, it's probably doing with me, too. I can't stand seeing all of you all the time. I'd, like to, I'd love to see you all fucking sober and not coming back, you know? I'd love it to be... I will love that this alcoholism was a harbor or a port we departed from, never to return. I would. But it's not the case. This thing will let's give you a little line and reel you back in. Yes. Unless you have a way of life to sustain the momentum that this program produces, it's not going to be in another program. Yeah. A super surrender will be forgotten in two days unless you have a way of life to extend it. And AA is a design for living and a way of life. It allows you to be. It allows you to keep doing what you do when you're not even enthusiastic. Yes, it allows the habits to be formed that like for me, I don't think about going to meetings, I think which one, yes? The, the, me going to meetings is a fucking habit. I don't think about, oh, ponder, should I or shouldn't I go? I'm just going, yeah? And so I have a great insurance policy and I've been, that insurance policy was formed in the first year of sobriety and I'm still riding it after 31 years of sobriety. The first year is the most important. It's sort of like a kid when it comes to education. The most formative years is when they're young, yeah? Then things start to harden and it's more difficult to change. But right now, hopefully, you're getting totally, your ass kicked has made you malleable so that you will submit. Instead of stop, instead of directing the change, submit to be changed. Enter this program, follow the 12 steps, Get service, get commitments, follow the triangle, unity, service, recovery, and just this, because this is a power that you'll be introduced to and which will sustain that's greater than the parasite. And the parasite doesn't respect anything other than a higher power. The power has to be a greater than the parasite's power. Yeah, And at this moment, we have been neutered, so to speak. Yeah, We're food for it. But we bring the idea of the higher power through the program, the way of life, and it will, sus it will suspend the influence of the parasite a day at a time for the rest of your freaking life. So be it. Yeah? Yeah. So what happened is I did that, got there, did that thing, started to go out. Ten months I was out because I had two years of help pretty much. Yeah? Ten months. And uh, I ended up... <clears throat> I went out March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, 1988. I also went out March 16th, 15th, 14th, 13th, 12th, 11th, 10th, 9th, April, May. But let's just say it was a signpost, March 17th, because something was going to come to an end and something new was going to happen. March 17th, went out, got loaded, of course. 
lost the car March 18th, but no idea what happened to it. March 19th is sort of a blur. March 20th, I came to somewhere in a trailer park next to a hang gliding airport in Calistoga, which is a little town two hours from North San Francisco. I had no fucking idea how I got there. And I was, I was facing a guy who I didn't know. You know, you know how when you're in a blackout, or so, a blackout and you come back in, it's like parachute, parachuting into a scene? <laughs> oh yeah, I have no idea. Where the fuck am I? Who is this person? What's going on? You just add a bit, and then people are so out to lunch that you don't even notice you've been vacant for a few hours. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Bill, yeah, it's Bill. So, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at this guy. He has a big head, big head. oldest nose and varicose veins all around his face. And I, and I, we're passing a bottle of Royal Gate vodka, very cheap vodka. I think they'd probably be Smirnoff here or something. You, know, you see them all around here. When someone makes a great decision to leave the program, you see those little fucking bottles. <laughs> All around the grounds. <laughs> I'll show them. Oh, yeah. yeah, you will. <laughs> if you if you drink at AA because you want to get AA, you know, I see so many people where I live, they get drunk because they hate AA. They want to get, and then they end up having to go back there. <laughs> what a good solution. <laughs> Fuck this, I'm drinking. And then, oh, new gun. <laughs> you're powerless. You think you're, you think you're going to change the course of the life that the parasite has set? Give me a break. You are so overmatched completely. This thing's talking to you all day. It's telling you it has so many great ideas for you when we leave this place. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> I got run over twice in one night. That's a hard fucking thing to do. This is, not, this is some of the things it has planned for you. Yeah, yeah just watch. Yeah. See what happens. And if you can't learn from others, and you can't learn from yourself, you're going to learn the fucking hard way. That's just the way it is. That was me. I had to learn the hard way. Yeah? Mm. So what occurred is, there I'm out there, 10 months. It's just going down the hill, down the tube so fast. Where I lived, you know what we used to do? We knew where all the telephone booths were between where I was and the dealer. Because as we were going there, we had to keep calling them to make sure he's fucking home. Because we, you know? And then we also knew all the restaurants or bars that had the best locks on the bathroom. So that you could fucking camp in there, shoot some dope up. And so this was, this was like, you know, this was like the, uh, you know, the Daily Planet for travelers, fucking junkie vacation. All right, this has got a fucking great lot. They, they won't be able to get in for 10 minutes. You know, this is my, this was my agenda. I mean, come on. This thing's unbelievable. So, so what happened is, there I was. I look at him. Hey, this guy. I said to myself, he's a fucking bum. And lo and behold, he's looking at me like I was a bum. And you know what? Something that I could never imagine, not even get close to, I had no idea it was possible, happened. It was sort of like, uh, 
if you had been in a movie for so long and then somebody walked in and did close the movie, you know, act two, it was something paused, the whole thing, my head seemed to stop. And it was like a, almost like a portal opened up and some information, and you know, there's a statement in AA, it says, hey, first that we were powerless over alcohol, that we admit that we were powerless over alcohol. Now, that doesn't work for me that one. I like the statement in the book that there's an admittance to the innermost self that you're alcoholic. That works for me. Because I admitted I was an alcoholic a lot to get alcohol. I admitted I was a drug addict to get out to drugs. But when there was an admittance to my innermost self, and I don't know where that innermost self is, but I know where it ain't, and it is not in my head. That is not the innermost self. So something downloaded and it struck me, and it was really like the screen went blank, and then there was a news flash, like a CNN news flash, just a headline, and it said, I'm fucked. Yeah. Now, I've been fucked for quite a while, but it was news to me, literally. You know, being fucked up here isn't getting your fucked. It isn't. Yeah? But getting, getting that you're fucked in the innermost has power, at least in my case, because what it did was, it thoroughly convinced me of that. And I didn't know I had the ability to be convinced, but if I was a newcomer, that's what I would suggest you pray for, the ability to be convinced and be done with this. Because without that, you're probably gonna have to have a lot of failed experiments. So this hit me, and I realized as soon as I saw I'm fucked, the next thing was, I'm not managerial quality, yeah? I just cannot keep listening to this, but I cannot not listen to this. Yes? So what happened? What happened is, I walked out of that trailer, I went to a phone booth, I called Delancey Street to see if they would take me back. I hadn't thought about that five minutes before, now I'm thinking of it. I asked them, Delancey Street says no, uh, you can come back in about a month and we'll interview you again. And suddenly I had some honesty download, and the honesty was, I don't think I have a month. Yeah. This isn't looking good. And uh, So what happened is, I called this lady who I used to party with. I asked her humbly to help me. It must have sounded sincere. She decided to do it, probably against her better judgment. She drove up there. It was an hour and a half drive, two hours. In those two hours, I had a miraculous alcoholic recovery. I want to get loaded again. He didn't much put the moment of clarity on the shelf. And I, but the thing is, like many of us, I was up against that fucking final wall, which is I wanted to do stuff that I had no money. So my whole strategy is I always had to convince someone else to do what I want. And my batting average was going down precipitously in the last few months. People weren't buying the charm, I'm not looking too good, and they were giving me a lot of no's, and I was super pissed. Soup, that's why people come in here and they say, oh, I'm not angry. You're fucking really angry. <laughs> you put all your money on something that fucking failed you. You're here. <laughs> so, I, so, she goes, so she drives up. I get in the car. I say, hey, let's go buy some. Let's get some beer. Get some cocaine. Get some dirty magazines. Rent the hotel room. Now, she had followed that equation many times with me. Hadn't been that satisfying for her. She said, no, we're not going to do that tonight, Paul. She says, you want a place to stay tonight, which is what I really wanted. And she, I said, yeah. And she says, well, you've got to go to an AA meeting. 
And so, and to me, that sounded like incredible progress because the last time I had that deal, I made a two-year commitment. She's asking for one hour. I said, yeah, sure. And she me, took me to a men's meeting, March 21st, 1988, Salvation Army in Army. It's not now it's Cesar Chavez, but it was Army in Valencia. She dropped me off there at 8 o'clock. I went into that meeting, and the first thing I felt there was hope. And it allowed me to feel how hopeless I was, truly. I didn't talk to anybody, I just sat there, listened. And uh, she came at 9 o'clock, which surprised me, picked me up, brought me back to her condo. She had a roommate that didn't like me, so she had to sneak me in. And I had to sleep in her closet, and I'm 6'2", and the closet was about 6. So it was very cramped in there. That was my first night, and I fell asleep. And when I woke up, something had really changed, because that radioactive isotope of urge to escape had been dimmed down, and I thought, uh, I don't think I can wait till 8 o'clock to get to a meeting. I better call this AA and see if they have earlier meetings. And I did, and they said, there's a noon meeting, not that far from where you are. And I went to that noon meeting. I've been coming ever since, 31 years. And uh, for me, I'm, I would say I'm a very fortunate one because I was struck sober, to tell you the truth. Since that point, that night, that day, I've never had a strong urge or a thought about alcohol and drugs. But I'll tell you, that surrender, or whatever it was, would have dissipated without AA. See, the sobriety got downloaded, and the next essential thing I was introduced to that next morning, the next day, which was AA. Because the only way that would extend is through a way of life. It would have been one of those great experiences that was gone by Wednesday. It would just dissipated, the parasite would knock it like a fucking flea off, you know? But no, a way of life can extend that, hap that surrender. The surrender needs a way of life to extend and become the new norm. And surrendered is the key. Surrendering the fact to the fact that you're not managerial quality. And maybe, just maybe, it's time to be willing and open to listen to some fucking ideas. Because your ideas don't work. Yeah? First of all, they're not your ideas. We've had all of your ideas. Everyone in this room has had all of your great ideas. We've called them our great ideas. <laughs> we share so much, it's unbelievable. See it. See when you go to a meeting. Then my first, so I went to that meeting. The next few months, I had such a thick shell of terminal uniqueness. Really, I just sat there, thought no one could, no one thought like it did, no one felt like it, no one did anything. I didn't. I looked around the room and I said I wouldn't get high with any of these people. So I just fucking sat there, was totally, totally separated, and it still didn't matter. Something had another plan for me. Yeah. So what happened? And so after a few months. I, I, I could only come to two conclusions. Is when people share, they share their experiences, yeah, their thoughts, their feelings. And I said, well, how did these people get my thoughts? You know, because they sure sound like mine. And how do they how do they feel like I feel? And I or how could they be mine if you have them? And that was one of the first big leaps. I saw thoughts as alcoholic thoughts. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And that gave us, that produced a space that I wasn't having before. Because the thoughts were on me like white on rice. But as soon as I saw there were, there were alcoholic thoughts, and you have them, there was some space, yeah? And that was, that was like the beginning of the pause, really. The pause was taking, it was his first little gestation period, yeah? Because the pause is space, isn't it? 
The pause is before a knee-jerk reaction happens. It slows time down so you have an eternity before you make that stupid move. Yeah, That's pause. And that pause is really our inherent condition. We are not of thing, we are of spirit. Yeah. So when, uh, when us, when we as spirit meet life, it goes in a different direction. Yes, yeah. Than when me as a head go, meets life, yes? So, so what happened was, I listened, and uh, the first step was obvious. I was powerless over alcohol. Now I really am interested in that because I see if you were palace over alcohol, it would imply that you are dancing with a gorilla and you're going to stop when the gorilla wants to stop, yes? Powerless means you don't have much say, yeah? All right, so when I'm under the influence, I'm powerless. I'm apt to do almost anything. This always flips me out. But now, still, even when you go back there, you're, you're harvesting tons of guilt and shame for the behavior you exhibited while under the influence. But the program's saying you had no nothing, you couldn't have done anything else. You were under the grips of a fucking occupation, and you behaved accordingly, like everyone else would. Yet now, people are sitting here feeling guilty and shameful for what they think they did, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They were driven to that action by alcoholism. When are you going to give yourself a freaking break? This is what the obsession with self does. It brings you to a situ situation, causes the situation, and then allows you to blame yourself for the next 30 years about the situation. It keeps you locked in. The alcoholism talks to you as you. It jacks into the brain like any other parasite in nature. The whole idea of a parasite is that it has to live off of something else. Yes? It has to live off of something else. And we, this is what we first started with the parasites. Blows my mind. But there are some incredible demonstrations of it. There's another one, new one. It's in about 20% of people, and a lot of them is in the brain. It's called Toxo, as a short, it has a long name, but they call it Toxo as a pet name. And this parasite, as all other parasites, has a primary drive, which is to reproduce. That's all its drive is. It wants to reproduce, but its degree of difficulty is unbelievable. It can only reproduce in the belly of a cat. There's no other place it can reproduce. And it's not in a cat. It's in a fucking rat or a mouse or some other mammal. So how the hell, it can't call Uber to get driven to the cat. How the hell is the parasite going to succeed? How is it going to arrive in that cat belly? It's a fucking impossible. Yeah. But what happens is the toxo jacks into the rat or the mouse's brain and tells the rat, if you see a cat, run right at it. <laughs> so cat, there'll be three cats hanging around. In the middle of the day, a big rat comes in and just starts walking around and basically with a knife and fork, going, come on, come on. Because it has the cat eats it, swallows it, digests it, and the toxo lands exactly where it wants and produces fucking itself in the, power, in the cat. It's incredible, isn't it? Doesn't it feel like alcoholism? Doesn't it feel like a takeover? Doesn't it feel like there's a foreign agent in you when you're under the influence? It sure does. You look different. Watch someone you know now for nine months being sober, and then they go out. They look completely different. 
their facial structure, the eyes, because they, they, they have a new driver. Yeah? The same old driver, really. So these parasites have an incredible strategy to fulfill their little mission. Well, what would happen, and alcoholism I would see as the host, most hostile parasite, yes? So let's say alcoholism takes you or attacks you, right? It has to have an incredible strategy to convince the host not to throw off the parasite, obviously. Yeah, because if a big bug landed on me right now with 50 teeth, I would knock it off. If it landed on me 50 times, I would knock it off. I wouldn't say, oh, hi, bug, you know, it just knock off, knock off, knock off. So, but here, the parasite has the greatest strategy. It convinces the host that it's the host. So now your, your ability to cast it off has been neutered because how are you going to cast you off of you? How, you know, try to throw yourself. See how far you are. How am I going to pick and throw myself up? So the parasite convinces us that it's us. And we basically live for the parasite. Tell you the truth. What's going to walk you out of here isn't for your own well-being. It's for the well-being of the parasite. You know, your decisions won't be before you, it'll be for it. I've seen it because I have been freed of it, and many of us are. Yeah. We can experience that state of being that the problem does not exist for us anymore. It's available, it's pregnant, it's a potentiality, but it's not on. Yeah, Because it's just like a little dog that's been masquerading as the big dog. When you in introduce the big dog, the little dog will roll over. The big dog is the higher power, yes? The higher power will be introduced to the parasite, the parasite's grip on you gets weakened. That's the whole point of the 12 steps. The whole point of the 12 steps is to admit the situation we're in, yes? To realize or have faith that it can be changed by something greater than us, and then to make a decision to turn our, life, our life over to that power so that power can change the situation. Yeah. Now, if it was, if life was in our control, it would only have been three steps. Yeah. We would have said, "I turn my will, my life over to the care of God," and that would be it. But we can't turn over what's not ours. When you're occupied by the parasite, you can't turn your will and life over. It's captured. So we have to do step four through nine to weaken the hold of the parasite. Yeah. Four through nine is what gives the power to the decision to turn one's will and life over. At the step three, you're powerless still. You're still in that dilemma of powerlessness. You've been sucked dry, yeah? So, but suddenly by doing four through nine, something gets established, and now when you say you're gonna take a commitment, you show up for the fucking commitment, because now there's be power behind decisions, yeah? So four through nine is essential, and then suddenly, now, and if you hear anyone sing the praises of step three, I bet you they've done all the steps. Because what really initiates the flesh, the, the sense, felt tactile sense of that step three isn't brought about by step three. It's brought about by four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah? Yeah. So, turn one's will over to the care of a higher power. Yes? Turn one's will and life over to care. I can't do that. Therefore, I submit myself to the program, and the program does what I cannot do for me, for me. As it says here, you'll suddenly realize that God has done for you what you can't do for yourself, exactly. 
That's exactly what happens. It can occur for many of us. If you're a real addict and a real alcoholic, to me, there's got to be a way of life. Really. <coughs> Some people, like they say, a heavy drinker or a heavy user can stop if, it has, if he has a sufficient enough reason to stop. We're past that point, most of us. Yeah? There's no stopping. The whole program isn't about stopping using. It's about not starting. That's the fucking whole program. The real solution is not to learn methods of how to stop. It's just never to start again. That's the real solution. Yeah? And then that starting, never, never starting gets established, and that's the abstinence. The abstinence of all this fucking dealing. What happens if you... I had a guy I worked with, nine years sober. He asked me to lunch, and I'll always go anywhere for a free lunch. So I went there, and he's talking to me, and suddenly he tells me, oh, I, I started drinking again, and I'm drinking successfully. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, listen, you know, he's not arrested or anything yet. But the fact is, I said, well, but what about peace of mind? Because now every time you go to lunch, you start thinking, should I have wine? Should I have wine? You, you introduce the possibility, and it's just riffing on it. The peace of mind is gone. Abstinence provokes peace of mind. You're not thinking about it, Yeah. You're not only not doing it, you're not thinking about it. <laughs> it's like a dead topic, yeah? And therefore, you can be available for everything else, yeah? That, to me, is the slavery. It doesn't matter if you get arrested or not. You get occupied, yeah? Can you imagine every time you go out to eat, should I have some lunch? Should I, you know, on and on. It just produces tons of minutiae up there, yeah? Mental minutiae. So... This idea of four through nine, so this surrender to turn one's will and life over to the care of higher power, if you're doing it from the occupation, this is the experience you probably will have. You will surrender and take it back, surrender, take it back, surrender, take it back. That's not surrender. That's commerce. That's making a deal. <laughs> surrender leads to surrendered. Yeah? So now it becomes a fact you, have been, you don't have every year it doesn't come up for review. You've realized you're not managerial quality, and that's fucking that. Yeah? Does it have, you don't have pundits come in and debate. Oh, I think he's ready to take over. No. No, it's very freaking clear. And then again, that topic is totally pushed aside, and then you're just available for what's happening. Yeah? And so you're present, and as it says in AA, we're present, you'll feel that conscious present, and let's say if you're present, yeah, now, you're available, yes, if you're present, and if you're available and present, you're of service, yeah, so we do a lot of service, but then it leads to an attitude of service, which is, which is being of service, and the beauty of AA, it doesn't just change your experience, it's going to change the attitude and outlook that you've been looking at life from, yeah. that's an incredible change. Yeah? It's going to change the basic source code yeah. of the action figure, if you allow it to, if you do. If you can, and you know what? AA delivers the good. You come to faith quickly in AA. Yes? First you come to believe. I did, I know when I came in, people suggested things to do, and I said, I hope you're right. They said, come to tomorrow. I said, okay, I hope you're right. If you get a commitment, you'll probably stay sober. Okay, I hope you're right, I'll get a commitment. 
uh, you should get a sponsor. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I kept saying it, and then quickly that hope turned into belief. Yeah? And I came to believe that a power greater than myself had restored me to sanity because I hadn't drank in eight weeks. To me, step two is just an observational step. When you enter sobriety, you look in after a few weeks, you haven't drank. Something has just done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Yeah, You have been restored to sanity concerning the insanity before the first drink, which is where the real relief is. It's not in not drinking, it's in relief from that insanity that's urging you to fucking drink all the time. Yeah, That's the relief. <clears throat> So this it was obvious, so then you come in, so there's, it goes very quick from hope to belief to faith, yeah? And faith to me is the power of all powers, really. I believe a lot of us have faith in the thought system, that's what's producing so much anxiety, yeah? You're, we're believing thoughts about next week that overwrite today, yeah. Most people who are flipped out right now are not flipped about out probably now. They're flipped out about next week or last year. Mm-hmm. We're really, if you look at what Jesus supposedly did, he raised a guy. He raised a guy who was dead, Lazarus, and that's his big miracle. But we're making shit out of nothing all day. We're really miracle workers. Really, you can ruin your day today by thinking of next week, not by the thoughts, but by the faith in the thoughts. Yeah. If that faith gets taken away from that failed system and put in something that works, it's going to produce an energetic easing comfort now. You're going to have contentment and satisfaction, and you're going to understand the word surrender, and you know peace. All this is going to come about. Just like if the faith is put in the thought system, you're going to be fucking anxious as hell. And you're going to be calling it fear, but it's not fear. Fear is a valid emotion. Most of us are just living under mental anxiety. I mean, it says in AA, you've got to get to the exact nature of the wrong. You've got to get down to causes and conditions. Yeah. So to me, humbly, and it also says, you know, the people in AA, when they wrote the book, the most sobriety they had was four years. We have people with 60 years now, 50 years, 30 years being under this influence. And they said, you know, we know but a little. More will be added onto this thing. Not changing the principle, but added onto it. So to me, I feel the exact nature of the wrong is not obsession with self. And I'm not calling self ego. I'm calling it the feeling of being the one who did shit. The feeling of being the seeing, the seer, the hearer, the feeler, the thinker, the, all this. This ownership and which the language supports. The language is constantly saying we have a lot to do with shit we have nothing to do with. Yeah, just like I had the old joke when I came here. I hadn't been here for a while, and uh, someone who knew me in the past saw me and said, Hey, Paul, you're growing your hair. So I said, Oh, yeah, I'm growing my hair. It's looking pretty good. A lot of pride, you know. He used great shampoo. And then he was balding. I said, You're not doing too good, bro. He's lacking. I said, I mean, We have a club. We grow our hair together every Saturday. Come on, join. You know, 9 to 11. And let's see. We'll see if we can add a little push up there, you know. And so I could go on and on and on and on. But I have nothing to do with growing my hair. I just don't cut the hair. <laughs> but the language sounds like, Oh, you're growing your hair. Like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm, you're breathing. Yes. Oh, thank you. My blood, it's percolating. But the thing is, you know, and I like my knee, I was surfing, and the knee went out. But the way I would explain it to people is I hurt my knee. 
it sounded like I went out in the water with a hammer, <laughs> and I purposely hurt my knee. I know that wasn't the case. The knee went out, and I reacted to that. I responded, I went, wow, fuck. You know? But the way the language implies, it says you have a lot to do with shit. You have nothing to do with it. You're listening to this all day. So my feeling is the obsession with self is being used to reinforce the identification as a self. I actually believe we're taking ourselves to be something that we're not, to tell you the truth. And I believe that's that, that activity, alcoholism the fixes on and amplifies it. Yeah? So let's say if you have a tendency of being jealous and then you drink and use you're up on chalking, you know, stalking charges a few months later. Yes? All those possibilities get amplified if you introduce alcohol and drugs. So to me, alcoholism is like an amplification. Yeah? It's sort of like here, if you're, if you're not drinking and using, everyone's like an acoustic variety. But if you drink and use, it's electric, you know, a lot of long solos and fucking drum things. Yeah. So the point is, but what alcoholism is playing on is self. Yeah? It's, it has to land on something. And it's the idea of being a someone that it affixes to and then amplifies. Yeah? Because the self, that voice that was talking to you as you before you got sober is still talking to you as you after you got sober. That did not get, did not get interrupted by sobriety. It just, it moved right into the, it moved right into recovery and it's doing basically the same thing on a different playing field, really. Yeah, it can't be as flamboyant as it likes, but it does a damn fucking good job. Yeah, so there to me, I really believe the act is the the identification as what you're not is the root of the dilemma. That's why I feel, and I feel that's the exact nature of the wrong. As they said, we should do. We should try to find the exact nature of the wrong. I have looked at that and seen it, and I've had a result from it. And my, I've been able to travel lighter for years now from that point. Yeah? And how it hit me really strongly was in AA when I was nine years sober. I was leading workshops in the fourth step, and I'd always read this part in how it works, you know, when they start describing the inventory process. And on page 63, he says, being convinced that self, so being convinced means to be a... a Uncertainty, yeah? So I'm certain about something. Being convinced means I'm certain really about something. And why does that something? That self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. So if you listen to the statement, it's in cool because it's calling something self and then it's calling all of us us, yeah? So there's something other than us that defeats us by its manifestations through us. Yeah, it's not saying uh, being convinced that Paul, Mary, and every name of every alcoholic <laughs> manifested in various ways and defeated Paul, Mary, and every other name of every alcoholic. It says self and us. Us includes us. This and self is foreign. Yeah, or it would have just said us and us, self and us. So self is sort of like a system. Yeah, you never see self. It defeats you through its manifestations. <coughs> Yeah? Self doesn't defeat you. It defeats you by you entertaining that you're a self. That's how the defeat occurs. Yes? 
So being convinced that self manifested in various ways is what has defeated us. We will now look at its, self's, common manifestations. And the next paragraph is resentment. Okay. So the, the introductory inventory are looking at some of the common manifestations of self in one's life. Self, not your manifestations, self's manifestations. And we pick the first three, resentment, fear, harms done to others in pursuit of what you want, looking at the sexual arena. So we do a basic inventory for a column to see how self, basically to see the patterns of how self has defeated us. Yes? So why? So maybe we can recognize it. Yes? Just like maybe we can tell the tree by its fruits. Then maybe we can recognize it. So if you follow this logic, resentment is a resentment. Why are we calling them my resentment? If it's self's manifestation through me, why is this me calling them mine? Just like if there was Stanley, and Stanley manifested through me, and every time I saw a manifestation of Stanley through me, I called them mine, I would be in the act of being identified as Stanley. Yes? If Stanley was, shit from Stanley was coming through, and I kept calling, it's me, my, 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 I'm, I'm identified as Stanley. So, it's saying very clearly, resentment is a manifestation of self in one's life. Why are we calling it our resentment? I would say we're in the act of being identified. And how we, and this is what happened. I saw self as foreign, finally. And the first possibility that arose was, as soon as I saw it wasn't me, the first possibility was I can be free from it. The first one immediately came. And then when that came, it told me in a flash, it went over like 30 years of my living, and it says, you've been trying to be free as it. And it's, it's the thing we have in our community. It's not in the book, but in our community we say self can't get out of self. And that's exactly the dilemma. If I'm identified as self, I can't get out of self. I'll try to get out of self as self. Yes? And how is it looking like when I'm in self? I'm calling its manifestations my manifestations. You do an inventory on resentments. You're not doing an inventory on your resentments. Because they're not yours. Something colors the way you see things, and they're used for you see threats when they're not there. And then you're afraid you're going to feel like you once did, so you resent the situation. It has nothing really to do with you. If you're the, like it says in the book, either, you're, either there's a God or not. It's, let's say either you're spirit or not, yeah? You're not a hybrid. You're not a spirit, man, wolf, fucking sheep thing. Either you're spirit or not. Maybe there's an appearance of being a thing, but what's behind the appearance is no thing. It's spirit, yes? So what if that's the case? If I'm spirit, instead of taking myself to be a body, then when it says your daily reprieve is contingent on the maintenance of your spiritual condition, if I see myself as spirit, that's a damn fucking good way to maintain a spiritual condition, is being one. <laughs> I think it's the most, most successful way of maintaining a spiritual condition is to be it. Yeah? Instead of trying to maintain a condition, trying to put spirituality onto a body, it's like it's not going to stay. Yeah. But what would happen if I see I'm not that, I'll find out what I am. 
instead of so instead of looking for what I am from what I'm not, I'll see what I'm not finally, and I'll find out, I'll discover what I am. And what allows that discovery to occur is the way of life AA provides. I'm a different dude than I was when I was out there using. I don't need any observation. I'm not burning down houses or fucking planning on doing something, you know. Pass the basket first so I can get out of here fast. None of this. I'm just fucking, if you looked at every one of my days, you'd be bored by 10 o'clock a.m. I'm not, you know what I mean? <laughs> you have to admit the problem resides in the mind. That's what it says in the book. The problem resides in the mind. Where in the mind? Is it in the brain matter? No, it's in the thought system. The thought system is the delivery system of the disease. It delivers its take to us through thought. It talks to us as us. Every time you meet it in your life, you call it me. How are you going to kick out the fucking unwanted guest when you're the fucking guest? <laughs> I saw it as other, and I swear the possibility of real freedom appeared right then. I'm, I can be free from it. Just like it says, please relieve us of the bondage of self. The bondage of self is an activity that we're caught up in. Yeah, We're identified as something that we're not. And then that something that we're not is being amplified by alcoholism. And some of us are going up to 40 years of prison based on a false fucking identity. And some of us can't even remember what happened to put us in 40 years because we blacked out. Fucking look at where it takes you. Look at where the parasite takes you. I remember I'd go out. I was a slick dude San Francisco, young, looked pretty good. Cocaine addict, yeah? Always wore long sleeves. Didn't want the blood to, you know, show. Fucking went to the clubs, did this. Very cool. After three or four days out there, you know, we're all sitting in an apartment. Everyone has their little area shooting coke. And then suddenly the coke starts running out. And then the coolness starts wearing off, you know? You start looking around the floor at the rug. And you think you see a piece of coke. And you're looking at them, looking at the rug. And you get down there. And it's like, if you could have built a fence, you would have. That's your little acreage. And now... I mean, the fucking place will take you. You will think lint, lint is cocaine. You'll try to shoot up a fucking, fucking whatever, like a salt granule or something. I swear to God. Do you think you would get there on your own? Something took you there. Some fucking rabid something fucking thing. <clears throat> One time we went out, we were, we wanted to get, I used to like opium when I was younger, and then it, sometimes it'd be dry spells, you'd never see it. And then we heard some guy had some opium. We're gonna meet him on a, a pedestrian walkway at this three-day heavy metal thing in Oakland, California. <laughs> so we drive there, my friend Sai, Sai Matarazzo. <laughs> he meets and comes back, it looks tarish and everything's cool. We got in the lunar file, drive back to the apartment, my girlfriend's in the kitchen, we go in, we cook it, shoot it up. She walks in and she goes, man, it smells like incense in here. And so we're sitting there going, and we're trying to see, I feel like it's coming on. Fucking nothing was coming on. Just talk, you know, talk ourselves into it. 
And so then we realize it's fucking incense. And we shoot it again. <laughs> just to see if we were... There still could be something there. I mean, something... Something, something drives us. Yes, something drives us. And it didn't come from our mother and father. You know? it's, something has taken us over. A foreign fucking agent. Yeah? And you're going to die for it. You are. You're going to die for it. It will lead you to death easily. It's affected enough others. It doesn't give a shit about you. Actually, you'd be lucky if you died. Most of the time, you'll just drag your body around for 30 years. Really. You will be like a cockroach. You can't kill yourself. You can't. I mean, Jesus Christ. I know. I lived out in the Haight-Ashbury. I'd see the same people there for 20 years. Living on a street trip, you couldn't kill them. They'd run over many times. They're fucking like the parasites not letting them go. Yeah, they can't fucking die. So there is a solution, but the solution isn't going to be found and had in one day. It's going to be expressed in a lifetime. <coughs> the solution is available. It's readily available, and the grace is there. But will we be there? Yeah. This is a way of life. Yeah. That's all I can say. It's a way of life. It's got to be that. It can't be like an on and off fucking thing. And you know what? When your habits are in place, you know, willingness doesn't have to look enthusiastic. You know, you just, you just, you've had a sober assessment of the limitations that you're confronted. And you just show up and suit up, let go of the results, and uh, you'll be put to maximum use. This is what happens in AA. And what you called having no value will put, be put to great value in this program. You'll be put to use. Your story that makes no sense will make a lot of sense to a lot of people. It's awesome. It's an awesome. And I was so lucky. I, I was two years sober when my mother died. I was so fucking happy I got sober before she passed away. Because all she wanted was me to be sober. Now, being an addict, I thought, ah, oh, fuck, I don't think so. You want No, but that's all she ever wanted. And uh, thank God. And it was funny, I went to her funeral, hadn't been around, and when my father died when I was nine, this couple that knew my mother and father, they started taking care of us, and the guy would take me to demolition derbies, this guy. And when he, d so when I got there, I asked my sister, do you tell these people that mom died? And she for had forgotten. But I was at the wake, and these people came in, and they came up, and they re and I re I could recognize them. They said, and they knew what had happened with me, and they said, "Listen, Paul," and they said, "You know, one of them had 12 years sobriety, the other one had nine years sobriety." And then they tell me, they go, "Listen, Paul, uh, you should really get into the program for about five years, and then seek outside help." <laughs> I said, what do you mean? You know, they knew I was fucked, you know, when, they, when I was a kid. They could see it coming. But it was amazing. You know, AA showed up there, you know? And so it's not, the coincidences aren't coincidences. There's something, there's grace trying to tap you on the shoulder to get your fucking attention. Yeah? Yeah. So perhaps there's a better way. Trusting something infinite rather than finite self. Yeah. And when you're, and the beautiful, it's so beautiful. And AA has got one of the, you know, when we talk about fear, it says, why, it says, why are you in so much fear today? 
Isn't it because self-reliance has failed you? That's the root of fear. The root of fear is relying on a failed system. That's where it is, yeah? And if you look at reliance, what would be the highest form of reliance but being identified as what you're relying on? And you know what? The disease we're in, when I did tons of cocaine out there, I never thought I was cocaine. Never did. Never crossed that line. It was a clear difference between me and that powder. No matter how much I loved it, and I loved it, and devoted life to it. Yeah, but we're starting there. We, are, we start from the identification with the drug. The mental state's addicted to self. We're starting there. That's how far it's gone. We think, we don't even recognize the initial obsession. The initial obsession is claiming to have all the other obsessions. It's like Dracula going out on vampire hunts. They'll kill all the vampires because they'll never question him. This is what it's like. That which is the greatest obsessions is telling you all about your obsessions. That's the fucking greatest obsession. The obsession with self. Yeah. And therefore, to me, what you do is you try to get relief. So you drink, or you do drugs, or you jump off bungee cords, or you do have this, and do whatever you do, yes? But you're trying to get out of it. But the dilemma is, through identification, you get caught in that little statement, self can't get out of self. You're trying to get out of the problem as the problem. It's all from. It's not for, or as, or with, or by. It's from. You're relieved from the bondage of self. And the bondage of self is being identified as what you're not. That discomfort, irritability, restlessness provokes a desire for relief. And then we do some stuff that never really works. And so some of them turn into addictions. Yeah? And then we try to blame it on the addiction. But if the original addiction is the mental state addicted to you being a someone. Well, on that nice note, <laughs> but hey, there is such a fucking, uh, there's such a future for all of us, man. If you could just fucking be convinced and be done with it, you're not going to win, bro. Winning comes from surrender here. Seriously. That's the winning move, is surrender. Yeah. Hmm. Any questions? Yeah. <coughs> wow. Oh, yes. What's your motivation? What's my motivation? To get out of here now. <laughs> to go eat. To go eat. Yeah. The motivation to do this. Oh, I think that's built in, if you're here. And the motivation to come here is because I'm in the same tribe. And I'd like to, it's like, uh, you know, let's say you were in hell for a period of time, and someone told you where there was a bus stop, where there was a bus out of hell came, and you took it and got out of hell. Wouldn't you be moved to go back in and tell people where the bus stop is? Oh, I would say yeah. so. Yeah. I'm, I don't want to see, I don't want to know you personally, probably, 
but I, I, I don't, I'd like to see you travel lighter. Yeah, I would. I'd like to see you travel lighter, and I'd like, I would like to see. Uh, I like the individual wins against the parasite because, on a larger scale, it's winning. Yeah, I mean, look at the thriving business for fucking rehab. It's winning. I mean, the infection continues to grow, and everyone that's infected doesn't know they're infected because they're calling it them. How are you gonna, I just, how is self gonna get out of self? This is an observation from our community. They realize self can't get out of self because I'm sure they were trying to do it for a long time, and suddenly it was revealed to them, hey, I've been trying to get out of me as me. Yeah, I have to see the me as not me, and that's how you get out of it. Yeah. See alcoholism as a foreign agent, and the possibility <coughs> of being free from it will become available. Keep calling it you, you're going to try to be free as it. And that's, that's actually the largest bondage. Who's trying to be as... Be free as the parasite is a lifelong fucking goose chase, really. Yeah? See it. See it in AA. Yeah. Where's this? Page 84, where they start talking about some effects. You'll place, you know, you'll cease fighting everyone and anything. They aren't things we do. Those are, those are effects we express. We get changed sufficiently to the point where you cease fighting everyone and anything. You are placed in a position of neutrality with no thought or effort on your part. You had nothing to do with it, yes? You submitted yourself, the program's changing you to the point that you're placed in a position of neutrality. You'll, hit a, you'll reach a point where the problem will not exist for you anymore. That's a fucking great solution. Yeah, And can you imagine if you let it take it a little further and saw that the problem doesn't exist as you anymore, then the relief would stabilize. You'll have experiences while taking over that the problem doesn't exist for you, but it will not stabilize. But if you see that it doesn't exist as you, that can stabilize. Yeah. That to me is the exact nature of Take it a step back yeah, and see that you're not that. And in that seeing it, the possibility of freedom occurs. Real freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's it, I think, for tonight. Thank you so much.